0: Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. Welcome everyone. We have had typically about a third of our congregation watching online, and so I thought it only appropriate that I dressed like a TV preacher. Um, you Would you agree? That's a good. OK. so So actually there's a story, many of you have been very kind with your comments about my white jacket this morning, but uh, about five years ago or so, um, a high-end tailor that I use called Jacques Penny, some of you may be familiar with that high-end tailor, Um, had a sale on summer weight um, jackets. And so um, most of my stuff, as you guys will know, because you see me every Sunday, was sort of that heavy Tweety stuff, and it can get warm here. And uh, so I wore it, I think, once about four years ago. And this morning, when I was looking in my closet, and I knew it was going to be warm today, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna venture that white one again. And so I reached in my pocket this morning and found a a bulletin, a program from July 14th, 2019. That's the last time I wore this. So um, I need to do a straw poll here, and that is. Whether I wear it again or whether it goes to Goodwill. So, how many think I should wear it again? Okay. How many think it goes to Goodwill? Oh, you're too kind. Liz, Liz Stubbs in the first service thought it should go to Goodwill. So, I don't know. We are uh, we're doing a summer series called "You Asked for It," and you guys have not been easy on us. Today, it's not too hard. It's on forgiveness. Uh, but next week, it's on scripture values and human sexuality. Can you imagine a sermon on that topic? So come around next week and figure out what I'm going to say on a fairly uncontroversial topic uh, yeah. next, next week uh, as we look at, and whoever suggested that one, thank you, uh, thank you very much for putting me in the hot seat. So we are going to talk about forgiveness today. and. I wanna tell you the story of Megan. Megan uh, was a young lady who had a breakup with a friend. They had a falling out. And shortly after the falling out she had with her friend, a young man by the name of Josh came online on a social networking site, social media site, and um, developed a friendship with her. Megan was just 13, he was 16, and he showed a lot of interest in her. And she had had some challenges. She had attention deficit disorder. Um, she had some problems with depression, some issues with her weight. And so she was really excited at the attention that Josh gave her. Her mom said, you need to be careful, sweetheart, because you never know, you actually don't know the people online. But after a few weeks of this online romance, Josh kind of turned, and in the turning that he did, he kind of turned on Megan and began an online barrage of name-calling that ended with young Megan taking her own life. It was a tragic situation, and some months later, the family, Megan's parents, found out that Josh actually never really existed, that Josh was actually a hoax perpetrated, by the mother of the girl that Megan had had a falling out with. And this was her way of racking vengeance upon Megan for falling out with her daughter. Her dad appeared on an interview in the Today Show and her dad, Ron Meyer said this, he said regarding this other family, he said they've offered no apologies. They sent us a letter saying they might feel a little bit of responsibility, but they don't feel guilt or remorse or anything for what they did. And people that actually did this were upset with Megan's family for going public relative to the cause of her death. So how does one forgive people who are doing something like that and are unrepentant, excuse me, in the process? The fact is none of us here this morning are strangers to offense. Perhaps some of you are in the middle of something like this, some kind of an issue that has you wound up around the hurt that you have received and the the attitude and the action of another towards you. When a faint, when a when an offense like this comes into our lives, I believe there are some, some themes that kind of that go around it, some, some expressions that tend to be consistent when we have been offended in a significant way by others. One of those themes is injustice. We have a deep sense of violation. We have a deep sense of being wronged. Something was taken from us. Something untruthful may have been said about us. A confidence was broken. Rumors spread. Something precious is gone. Trust is broken. And injustice hurts. Some of you may remember the name Pat Tillman. He played in the NFL, and Pat left his career in the NFL. Uh, and felt like he was called to join the army and to fight for his country in the wake of 9-11. And Pat Tillman went overseas and Pat Tillman was killed and initially killed in action. They said that it was the Taliban that had taken his life but further investigation revealed that he was unfortunately killed by friendly fire. He was mistakenly hit by his own troops and lost his life. And one of the great challenges of offenses that hurt us is that the biggest ones in our lives tend to be as a result of friendly fire. They come from the hurt caused by those who know us best. We learn that those who are closest to us have the ability to hurt us most. As followers of Jesus Christ, in the context of church and family, we find that the pain is rough when it's meted out by an ostensibly Christian spouse, by Christian parents, Christian children, Christian bosses or employees, Christian pastors or Christian leaders. It hurts the most because we don't expect it. We think something higher, something better will be given to us by those who also profess the name of Jesus Christ. And so the pain runs deep when it happens. One of the greatest challenges i found in the offense that hurts to the core is there's usually an element of rejection in it. The spouse who cheats, who says, I don't love you anymore. The boss who fires without adequate cause, the one you trust making disparaging comments behind your back that in front of you show support and encouragement behind you. It's a very different story. We find that we are now on the outside of relationships, now we're looking in and we discover that hurt people hurt people. One of the other themes we find is that we desperately desire justice to be done. Even if it's our own vigilante justice, we want revenge, we want retribution. We want them to hurt like they made us hurt. We tend to demonize the perpetrator. Once a friend or a lover, we now think they're incapable of doing anything good. They have become in our minds evil people. This must surely have been the case with Joseph. Think about him for a moment back in the Old Testament. He was his father's favorite son. And as his father's favorite son, he was given that special coat. But the kid was kind of a jerk, and he was kind of a jerk because he had these dreams, but instead of keeping quiet about the dreams and just letting them pan out, he shared with his brothers the dreams where they would be bowing down to him as the youngest. And they got tired of this, and so the day that Jacob (coughs) sent Joseph out to his brothers to check on them as they were tending sheep in the fields. He came walking towards them, and they said, let's deal with this kid. And so they put him in a pit. They initially talked about killing him, and then eventually they had some traders come by that were on their way to Egypt. They sold him, and uh, he no doubt in that pit heard what they were saying about killing him, And, uh, but the rejection that he experienced when they sold him into slavery must have been horrendous. And then he went from there, you know, the story to Potiphar's house and he did well, but then Potiphar's wife was attracted to him and he resisted her advances. He went to jail. He was forgotten in jail. He interpreted the butler's dream when the butler was restored to Pharaoh. Again, he was forgotten. Life was pretty challenging for him. His own flesh and blood wanted to be rid of him one way or another. The Joseph we find, however, in Genesis 45, had had years to stew about the evil that was done to him. We sometimes call it ruminating. When we've been hurt, we have a tendency to ruminate on that hurt, to think about it, to think about what we should have done or what we should have said or how we can deal with it now or how we can somehow get revenge on that person to make them hurt like they made us hurt. He had a lot of time to plot revenge. He could fantasize during that time about how he could hurt his brothers as they had hurt him In his anger and bitterness, he could have done a slow burn, a cauldron of hatred, but he did not do that. When his brothers came to Egypt in search for food, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and it's such a powerful and such a beautiful story. They thought that he would exact vengeance on them, but he forgave them. And we want to ask ourselves the question this morning, what is this business of forgiveness? Why do we forgive? You may say forgiveness is so hard and you would be right. And the more challenging the offense, the more the offense has hurt us, the more difficult it is to forgive. Little peccadilloes, little things that happen to us are relatively easy to forgive and move on. But The really hurtful ones, the really difficult ones are difficult to forgive. But friends, the alternative is so much harder in the long run. We can learn a lot from Matthew chapter 18. The backdrop here is the prayer that Robin led us in this morning and that was the Lord's Prayer. And where we said, forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who sin or trespass against us. Matthew 18 helps us unpack this. In verse 21, we read, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? He thought he was being generous. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, metaphorically, you have to keep doing it. Jesus' response illustrates the seriousness of this. He tells the parable of the, the guy who owed his boss millions of dollars, and the boss was going to put him away in jail, and he pleaded pleaded for his life, pleaded for his freedom, and the boss granted it. And then he went out from his boss and there was a colleague of his that owed him just a few dollars. And he insisted on that colleague being put in jail. And the parable, of course, illustrated the need of having been forgiven. We need to forgive. This business of forgiveness is so important that we have to recognize that just as we have been forgiven, we have to forgive those who have sinned against us. So how do we do this? How do we do this forgiving, especially when the pain is deep? I wanna suggest not three points to disappoint you this morning. I actually have six, but they're very quick. So fasten your seatbelt as we go through this. First of all, don't trivialize the offense. To forgive is not to say, oh, nothing happened. Oh, don't worry about it. To forgive is not to begin by trivializing what happened. It happened, it was serious enough, it hurt you, there was reality there. To forgive is to actually identify the offense specifically. Notice what Jesus tells us to do earlier in Matthew 18. He says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that in the presence of witnesses, it will keep things honest, excuse me, and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you have to start over again from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. So the second thing after recognizing the offense, recognizing that offense has taken place, is to realize that it helps when there is confession by the one giving offense. Confession isn't easy for any of us. To say, I did it, I'm responsible, mea culpa, is not easy to say that. We don't like to do that. But in the passage we just looked at, we recognize that it's so much easier if the offense is recognized by the person that did the offending. And in our relationship with God, we're, we're told this, we read in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a, there's a process here. And the process is that the offense is recognized It's described, and it's forgiven, and it's forgiven because the individual who committed the offense says, Bob, I'm very sorry that I offended you. Cece, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake, and I never should have done that. When that happens, it's so much easier to forgive. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote a book called No Future Without Forgiveness, He tells the story of the end of apartheid in South Africa. And many of those in South Africa, indeed many of us around the world, feared there would be a bloodbath at the end of apartheid when the large minority African or black population was freed essentially from that segregated society that they would, as now the majority, simply go after the whites the Archbishop tells a story of a country taking a different path. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up to hear the stories of offenders and victims. If offenders con- confessed their crimes, they would not be prosecuted. Think about that for a minute. If offenders confessed their crimes, they would not be prosecuted. In a very real sense, as a result of their confession, they would be forgiven. Those who did not confess would be tried for their crimes. White policemen and black terrorists confessed, and miraculously, the bloodbath that was expected did not occur. The third thing that we need to see about forgiveness is that it needs to be given regardless of whether someone confesses to the hurt or not. The Bible is clear that Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for our sins, and he died independently of us asking for forgiveness. At the Last Supper, he described what he was doing on the cross. He said, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So his death on the cross became the means by which our sins are forgiven. He forgave us and was not bound in that forgiveness by our response. And so God does not move into eternity with the load of our sins because on the cross, he forgave our sins. He's done his part. But now in order for us to actually receive it individually ourselves, we have to acknowledge our need. We, in order not to carry the effects of offense into the future in our lives, We need to forgive regardless of whether the perpetrator asks for forgiveness or not. Tom Wright points out that this very act of forgiveness, it's this very act of forgiveness that ensures that evil is not carried over into heaven, that evil is not carried over into the new world. He says, the continuing presence and power of evil in the present world cannot blackmail the new world, and veto its creation because the promise of forgiveness organically linked to the power of Jesus' resurrection is precisely that it enables both God and God's people to avoid the imposition of other people's evil. Part of the Christian task in the present is to borrow from God's future in order to change the way things are in the present, to enjoy the taste of our deliverance from evil by learning how to loose the bonds of evil in the present. Friends, don't carry unforgiveness to your own death. Don't carry unforgiveness another day of your life. The fourth thing we see here is that reconciliation is God's ideal. Reconciliation is God's ideal. Our scripture reading that Dennis read for us this morning talks about God's will for followers of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's God's will for all people. And I'm gonna read it again in a different translation. How wonderful it is, how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the fragrant anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life evermore. This describes God's will for all of our human relationships. It's important to note that we can forgive without the participation of the offending party. But we cannot be reconciled without the participation of the offending party. I'm gonna say that again. We, We can express forgiveness, we can offer forgiveness without any response from the offending party, but we can't be reconciled to the offending party unless they are willing to reconcile. The point is. We need to do our part. I, I love this verse. Barb and I were chatting about this verse yesterday. It's just such a powerful verse. It's it, it's tagline material. Our tagline as a church. Is navigating life together. But this verse is just so powerful. It, it, it could almost be a second tagline. And that is. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Notice the two caveats at the beginning. If possible, right? It's not always possible to live with peace who won't reciprocate. So far as it depends upon you, you can do what you need to do regardless of how someone responds. But the goal... Clearly, God's will for you, God's will for me is that we live peaceably with all people. The point is, as we do our part to reconcile, but we're rebuffed, we have done what we can. We can be open to the future. We can lift that load off of our lives, off of our hearts, but it may be counterproductive to keep pursuing it and pursuing it and pursuing it if the other person just isn't interested We should have peace in our hearts because we've done all we can. Fifthly, we too need forgiveness. We need to be reminded of this, friends. In the midst of our own hurt, we can sometimes forget that regardless of how we may have been offended, regardless of the hurts that we have received, that we need to extend forgiveness for, we too are offenders. We too are offenders. We need to be forgiven ourselves. This is why the Lord's Prayer again says, forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors, our trespassers, the sins against us. Archbishop Tutu chaired the meeting of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission we spoke of earlier. And hearing stories of murder And rape and torture and abuse took a toll. But he came to the profound recognition after hearing these stories. He said, this and more was the kind of testimony that devastatingly made me realize that there is an awful depth of depravity to which we all could sink. That we possess an extraordinary capacity for evil. This applies to all of us. There's no room for gloating or arrogant finger pointing. We have supplied God with enough evidence if God needed to want to dispatch us all to wipe the slate clean as he did when he tried to make a fresh start with the flood. But it is important to note that those guilty of these abuses were quite ordinary folk. They did not grow horns on their foreheads or have tails hidden in their trousers. They looked just like you and me. I'm reminded of the testimony of the, the Jewish man who had been in a concentration camp during the Holocaust, during World War II. And he was testifying at the Nuremberg War Trials that happened about 1947, in which Nazi criminals were being tried for what they had done. And he was in the witness stand as a witness to the individual that was on trial. And as he began to witness, he completely broke down, completely broke down and couldn't continue. And afterwards, someone came to him and said, was it because you had to relive the terrible things that happened to you that caused you to break down? And he said, no. He said, in that moment, I realized that I was capable Of doing the same thing. We have to remember, friends, our own need for forgiveness because we too cause offense. We too are offenders. Finally, we must forgive ourselves. Some of us carry around anger, bitterness, and an unforgiving spirit but it's not directed at another person, it's directed at ourselves. Somehow, some of us can't forgive ourselves. Perhaps it's something that we did that we think is unforgivable. Perhaps it's something that we think we should have done but we didn't do or... Friends, what we need to do is to be reminded that We are brought into a right relationship with God, not because we are good people, not because we've never sinned, not because we've never made mistakes, but we come to Christ because of his grace matching our faith. Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, not because we're perfect, not because we've never sinned, not because we've never caused offense. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. Forgiveness is for each one of us as well. We need to forgive ourselves as God has forgiven us. So the background of this talk has been the life of Joseph and the forgiveness. And the affirmation that he gives his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, they fear for their lives, but he says to them in Genesis 45, when he reveals himself to them, he says, and do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. The story here appears to end happily ever after, but it actually doesn't. This is. Genesis 45 and Genesis 50, 17 years later, Jacob dies and the brothers come back to Joseph thinking he's only forgiven them. He's only been kind to them because of their father. And now the father is gone. And now finally he's going to have revenge on his brothers. And so they come to him And they put words in their father's mouth, in Jacob's mouth, and the words they put in his mouth is to the effect that Joseph is to forgive them. And the response that Joseph has is to weep. He weeps because he realizes in that moment that his brothers didn't get it, that he truly forgave them 17 years earlier. Friends, when we've been hurt deeply, it's hard to forgive, but We see how important it is for the offender, but especially how important it is for us not to carry that evil, not to carry that grief, not to carry that offense. Another day in our lives and certainly not into heaven. Forgiveness leaves evil behind in the present. Daryl Bigger and Barbara were employed by Walla Walla College, now Walla Walla University. And uh, Darrell was a professor there and his wife, Barbara, was the bookstore manager. And one day, uh, just the day after Father's Day, they had gotten a call from the chaplain, both of them independently, to meet the chaplain in his office. And Barbara arrived first and the chaplain made... Virtually no small talk. They just sat in complete silence waiting for Darrell to come. When Darrell got there, the chaplain looked at the both of them and said, I have the most terrible news I could ever give you. And that was that yesterday on Father's Day, their daughter was tragically and viciously murdered in Washington, D.C. Barbara didn't cry at first. She was in shock, and she doesn't even... Remember hearing the word murder, she thought there was some kind of a car accident. And as the story began to come out, they had little time to deal with it because there was a service to plan for Shannon. They were overwhelmed with the details, the police investigation, the legal process, the media, etc. Darrell was a Navy chaplain colleague of mine, and so I had the privilege of. Uh, of, of, um, uh, of uh, representing the chief of Navy chaplains at the service for Shannon. darrell said he was surprised at his own reaction. He thought he would be enraged with anger at the one who murdered his daughter, but he wasn't. The murderer was found within two days and uh, he was given, by pleading guilty, given two life sentences and 20 years he was spared the death penalty and the bigger family was also spared having to go through a trial. But nine months after this, the murderer um, decided that he wanted to appeal his sentence. And Darrell said that when this happened, rage hit him. He could not handle the fact that the one who had done such terrible things was now trying to escape the consequences of what he had done it was just a few days after the hearing about the appeal that Darrell and barbara were in church listening to the sermon given by the same chaplain that had given them the news about shannon this day he was preaching about jesus call to love one another and He went on to say that our love would be the clearest indication that Jesus was living in our lives. The chaplain's text was from John 13. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This was not an easy message to hear. Daryl was emotionally torn up by this event and the grief was boiling over. How could he love this person who had taken the life of his precious daughter? He faced head on the anger and the resentment that was at the very core of his being and he understood he was not able to do what was being asked of him. But that moment was also the beginning of a release for him. He realized that he couldn't deal with it on his own. He needed God's help. And he remembered Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It hit him that God loved him unconditionally. And as he thought about how God loved him, the knots in his stomach began to melt away. The chains of anger and resentment were broken. Friends, perhaps you came in this morning with chains of anger and bitterness in your life. Perhaps a burning resentment may be just below the surface. You truly don't need to leave the way you came in and want to give you a moment to change that, to not carry the evil that has happened to you into the future, to give you a chance to extend forgiveness to those who may have hurt you, but also to extend forgiveness to yourself. Take the pain to the Lord and allow him to help you and leave this evil behind. Joseph illustrates a completed picture in many ways. There was a lot of weeping when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. The weeping wasn't weeping of grief. It was weeping of joy. And there were tears of reconciliation. But the story wasn't over. Joseph married and he had two children The first child was Manasseh. Manasseh's name in the Hebrew means to forget. And the second child was Ephraim. And Ephraim means to be doubly fruitful. The names were of course prophetic. God had given him the ability to forgive and to be fruitful in his life. Friends, we may not always be able to forget those things that have happened to us. That's just part of human nature. But we do have the ability to forgive and to leave the pain behind. And I'm going to, even as I pray to close now, give you a moment in the quietness of your own hearts to deal with any relationships that you may need to deal with in this moment. So Lord, we thank you for your Truth, the truth of your word which instructs us truly it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway and i pray lord that you would enlighten our hearts now that if we are not free if we're still captive to the pain of the hurts that have happened to us or the pain of the things that we have done that we wish we hadn't i pray that today we would both give and receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.